And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek and Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Monday, November 1st. Yes, we have November baseball. And for a brief moment during Game 5 of the World Series, it did not look like we were going to have November baseball. So we're going to recap all three games that took place over the course of the weekend. Of course, Houston did just enough to send the series home down a game at 3-2. to two, But a lot of exciting things happening along the way we'll get a keg status check-in before the end of this episode too i know that's the question a lot of people on the stream are wondering about what's the status (laughs) of the keg in eno's backyard we did make some progress we will tell you how much in just a little while let's go all the way back to game three all right so let's go back to friday it was possible it was going to be the rain game and then it was really the ian anderson game and that, of course, uh, led to a series of, of pieces and a lot of conversations about the the death of the starting pitcher and, and just the usage. But in another way, it's really just sort of what we saw last World Series with Blake Snell. And rather than leave Ian Anderson in to see what would happen as Houston got more looks at him, Atlanta went to the bullpen, went to the strength, and it worked. They won that game 2 nothing, And it's kind of hard to argue against that, right? I mean, if you see how it plays out like that against an offense as good as the Astros offense, I guess I don't really see what the calls for or what the cause for complaint is here. Yeah, the the research is not even clear if dealing, uh, quote unquote, dealing exists. Uh, you know, the <laughs> I would say it doesn't, you know, if you look at pitchers who pitched well and then you try to predict their next inning, uh, and then you look at ones who haven't predict- pitched as well, and you try to predict the next inning. You don't. You don't do any better either way. So there's some maybe some flaws in that research. I don't know. Uh, some people like to point out that you know the you know there's differences there between the average and the mean or whatever, um, and that certain that you're more likely to be good in that next inning. Just it doesn't. It's you're just not likely to be so good that it moves the research. You know what I mean? Like you're more likely to be good than not in that next inning. Uh, but uh, it just doesn't, it washes out when you start to like take averages and look at the whole population. Uh, but I, I would say uh, he wasn't even dealing. <laughs> I mean, yes, no hits. I get that. But three walks against three strikeouts. Like I was not watching that thinking like, oh, this guy's going to throw. Even his manager after the game said this guy, you know, he wasn't going to throw a nine inning no hitter. Right. Some of that might have been the pitches he'd thrown to that point, too. He was sitting at 76 pitches after five innings. So was he going to throw 115 to get there? Like, that's a little bit silly, too. But you and I were watching this game together, and I don't think it even crossed our minds. Like, oh, yeah, he's he's going to definitely get deep into this game and 
he's got a shot at actually holding a no-hitter. That was not even a part of the conversation whatsoever. It was a yeah. really nice start that I happened guess to could, be five no-hit innings. That's that's the way I would look at it. You could be sad about it, I guess. I mean, yeah, maybe in some other year, in some other time, they would have pushed him. But, you know, uh, it's not just the game that has changed in terms of the athletes on the field and, and, and such. The game has changed as in the postseason is way longer. This is way longer than it used to be. And so, uh, let me. Good morning, Monday morning. Let me, let me get my mic. Yikes. Uh, but it's uh, it's way longer. So that's why I think you're seeing all these pitchers. Like 85 pitches is the new 100 for starting pitchers in the postseason. 80 to 85 pitches is about the longest anyone's gone. I think we've had like two pitchers that have gone further than 85 pitches. So I think that's partially because there's a whole nother month now. It used to be like, you know, you jump into the CS and then the World Series. So, I, I mean, I think that you just have to manage these guys because it's so the postseason is so long now. Yeah, and I, I think part of that has to be we just had an off day. We have all of the relievers that we want to have at our disposal here. So we're not turning it over to anybody that we're uncomfortable with. We're using the four relievers that we like the most to finish off this game. I think that has to be part of the situation too, right? If you're doing this in, let's say it's it's a game five, you played games the previous days, all of those A relievers have at least some fatigue from pitching in one or both of the previous two games, then maybe you push Anderson out there for the sixth and you can kind of play the let's see what happens sort of game one out at a time and then quickly take him out of the game if he finds some trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, yeah, I just uh I think that uh I think it played out perfectly. I think they wanted that win more than they wanted a no-hitter in the postseason. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, it's one of those times when the individual performance takes a back seat to the collective performance. Uh, I think they did the right thing. The uh comments in the live stream on point, James. I think Kerry Woods twenty K game proves that dealing exists, but maybe it's not something that's predictable. I, I mean I think with, with Woods. Well that's what I mean. That's yeah. what that's what I'm talking about. You're, I mean you're, when you're making that decision, you're trying to be you're trying to be a probabilistic thinker. You're trying to think using the the tools that are predictive. And so, you know, it really wouldn't be that if maybe if maybe Rob Arthur's research would be relevant here. Like maybe if the guy is sitting two ticks above normal, you know, then he could be in the middle of a hot, a hot game. Right. Yeah. We talked about those fluctuations. Yeah. And as Mitch points out, I don't think dealing doesn't exist means that good outings don't exist. That's not, yeah, that's not really what I'm saying either. We're just, we're trying to talk about the predictive nature, like the predictive nature of the first five innings when it comes to the sixth inning. Yeah, and that was a game. That was a weird game too because uh, Luis Garcia needed seventy-two pitches to get through three and two-thirds. Like I mean, conditions were bad in Friday's game three. It was cold. It was rainy. Uh, gripping the ball probably very difficult. Well, adds a little uh, something to that Anderson performance, I guess, for me. When I when I researched uh, pitching in the cold uh, back for Fangraphs article back in the day. Uh, the big consensus actually was not was that the cold wasn't so bad. It was dryness. Um, and uh, you think about that in the context of the whole sticky stuff, you know, battle that we've had this year. Um, I think that maybe gripping the ball wasn't so wasn't so hard for them because it was wet. Hmm. 
you know? But I do think uh, throwing the ball hard was hard for them. I don't think either of them was uh, had a had a good a bump in uh, in velo. So um, you know, I think it does generally lead to offense being down. The ball doesn't fly as far uh, when you hit it, and the uh, the pitch ball isn't doesn't go as fast. So anything else know. from uh, from the Ian Anderson game as we're it didn't calling look it? it didn't look comfortable it didn't look like a lot of fun no it looked like a miserable <laughs> place to be uh, in a game and at a game but anything else from this game that uh, that really caught your eye uh you know we we were just discussing uh Ian Anderson in the context of the of the pitching plus model and it's um he does not pop in that model he shows as having every single one of his pitches has below average stuff uh he does not uh, have great command by most of the command metrics I've looked at. Um, and so uh, it was just interesting to see him shove while, you know, sort of publicly discussing, um, you know, uh, what the pitching model thought of him. You know, the the consensus that we came up with or the different ideas that we came up with for what the model might be missing is, um, let's see, one could be uh, arm speed. He could uh, sell the change up with really good arm speed. Um, and so that would, I would, that might come someday because Hawkeye can track limb, limb, limb speed, limb movement. So we might be able to put that in the model someday. Um, and, uh, another one is he has a really over the top, um, ex- he has an extreme arm angle. Is that, is that something that's like obvious to you? It's not as obvious. I think when someone's extremely over the top than when they are like a submarine or something. Right, it doesn't. It, it doesn't look quite like a Josh Colmenter to to bring back a, a recent that, name on the pod. He's almost a Josh Colmenter comp in terms of release point. I mean, he's close hmm. in terms of release point height, and because probably not horizontal location. Because the thing about Colmenter, he's like, like it was like behind axes. his head. Like it, yeah. it, it was like the ball came. If you're watching on YouTube, like right about here is where he started to come through. I don't think Anderson's got that going on. No, but he does an extreme sort of back. Ben thing, I think, to like, you know, <laughs> almost like Bauer at UCLA. Um, but, uh, you know, so that th- that extreme arm angle in the model, there's not going to have a lot of comps for that arm angle. And so we we do a lot of things in the model to try and beef up places where you don't have a large sample. Uh, there's different things, boot, boot bootstrapping, Bayesian work you can do to kind of like try and um, trying to beef up the sample basically, but, uh, anywhere on the extremes is still going to be, um, you just, the model has no other release points like that to compare to basically. So I think it's the extreme over the top. I think it's probably, he sells the change up really well. And then it's possible that we're missing something. So when we do location plus, we you know we say what are the good places to put changeups, right? Just all changeups. So I think step part two of this model will be what are good places to put changeups like Ian Anderson's. Hmm. And we may find that he puts his changeups in good places for his changeup. Um, and I, I've talked about that in, in reference to like Adam Ottavino. Adam Ottavino's slider might have a very different location pattern than like AG Minter's cutter, you know. Then so 
you know, we, we should maybe uh, account for that in the model. So those are the things I thought of when I was watching it. <laughs> it's pretty nerdy stuff, but, <laughs> but, you know, you're trying to trying to watch and be like, why, why is that? Because like, if we see Ian Anderson again and you, or you just want to watch some old thing, it's not, it's like the changeup does not move. It, it, yeah. Sam Chess says he loves the look of Anderson's changeup, but it's, uh, in terms of movement, it it's, uh, does not differentiate itself from his fastball very much. Hmm. Uh, a mystery uh, for the model, too. But yeah, I, th- I think it leaves you in a, a difficult position of in the short term. It's like, well, do I do I go against the model and do I buy into Anderson? Because I think I understand where the flaws I, are. And then I had like, picked the Braves that night. Yeah. And then I was looking at that model and I was like, man, it really doesn't like him. And uh, and I switched my pick at the last minute to the Astros. But I think your your model and your approach have had you on the under position with Ian Anderson. Whatever Ian Anderson's expectations were, you've been below that consistently, really, since he was a prospect too. So uh, you've at least held the same position consistently, which well, I think yeah, is you know not, admirable. It's not, it's not working out well for me. <laughs> but you've stood your ground. <laughs> Let's take a look back at game four where Zach Grinke delivered. I mean, that's that's what you wanted. You wanted that going into the beginning of the series. I think it was before game one or after game one. It was very clear that Grinke was going to have some sort of starting role in the series, and he came through. Uh, Kyle Wright, though, held it together for Atlanta. And it was a quick exit. Dylan Lee was basically the opener. I thought they probably wanted to get a full inning from him before making a change. But Kyle Wright ended up pitching really well and kind of gave them a World Series performance that was right in line with what Drew Smiley did back in the NLCS, where no one really expected it, and it was really good, and it ended up keeping Atlanta in a position to win a game that, frankly, I don't think any of us were predicting that they could win. Yeah, that was uh, that one was a easy uh, Astros pick for me because I thought with Granky and Javier, you know, they have an actual you know plan beyond uh, throwing the spaghetti at the wall. Um, I'm sorry, Kyle Wright is better than spaghetti. Um, you shouldn't throw spaghetti at the wall; it's messy. I have some stuff. I, there's a question in the chat about like Kyle Wright's stuff numbers, but I think that they are, are a little bit irrelevant because. Last night you saw Kyle Wright throw the sinker and the curveball most of all. In the model, um, we the model does not like uh, his slider um, or his sinker, but uh, it says that he's throwing all these different pitches, changeup, curveball, all this stuff. And I know that the shape of Kyle Wright's curveball has changed a little since he was in the since he was first appeared. So the model does like his curveball the best, and he's throwing the curveball more. That's a that that's a that's a thumbs up. Otherwise, I don't know if the the the, the numbers, the the stuff plus numbers, um, are that relevant because I think he's changed some of the shapes of his pitches while he's in the minor leagues this year. Yeah, and I think there's still legitimate questions about whether he's going to be a long-term effective starter, or he's going to end up being more of a bullpen glue guy, or if he's maybe a, a true like back-end guy four to five innings max never really giving you more than that i mean that's all up there but the fact that he's tinkering with the arsenal i think gives me just that little glimmer of hope i'm thinking about 2022 really deep leagues he's at least hanging around on the radar for one of those very late darts yeah one of the things i think that uh is a problem generally and has been even as the pitch and shapes have changed is that his command is not good 
Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you can, you can actually pop something command wise, um, when you, uh, change shapes too, you know, cause you can be like, this is a shape that's more repeatable. I can actually put it where I want to put it. Yeah. If he's getting away from the bad fastball curveballs working for him a little bit, mixing in the change up to different sort of look than what we've seen from him uh, before. Uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking about this game four. I mean, it, obviously the seventh inning, the, the home runs from Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler swung it against Christian Javier, no less. I mean, it's, it's the classic. It, it was an entire game of you can't predict baseball, but back-to-back home runs off of a guy that Houston wanted in the game in that spot and, and two righty-righty situations, no less. Like that, that was a big plot twist that I did not see coming. Yeah, but, uh, you know, they were middle-middle fastballs, man. I don't know why he threw Dansby Swanson a fastball. Because he was nowhere close on the breaking stuff. Yeah, I uh, I was a little disappointed in that one because I, I like Javier so much. But, uh, you know, that I think that some of it is, yeah, maybe some of it was uh, pitch choice. He did throw more sliders than fastball, so he was kind of, he was hiding the fastball a little bit. But, um, you know, his poor command, uh, I think, shown through. Maybe the fastball was the right call, but middle-middle was not the right location. <laughs> right, just the complete miss of the spot, right? Target was probably up and further away, and you know, he ended up just leaking out over the plate, and damage was done. But yeah, ugh, that, that one, uh, that's, that's a tough one, because you get what you want, you have everything lined up really well, you're in control of a game, and it falls apart that way. Uh, I think it does kind of come back to a recurring question we've had with Christian Javier. Is he actually going to be a possible starter for them next year? Do you see in the past, obviously it was fastball slider in this outing, but do you see enough in previous attempts for a deeper arsenal to believe that he'll get a chance to stretch out again and possibly be a back-end guy? Well, you know, I, I, I've always, uh, you know, there's I have the like, first line stuff numbers like their overall stuff number but then you look at the per pitch types too the pitch type breakdowns and for javier it's like oh 104 stuff love this guy um but then you look at the breakdowns and it's a 119 stuff on the slider which is all thumbs up and then only a 99 stuff plus on the four seam and uh everything else is below that um and that uh, includes a lot of relief appearances so i would assume that you know, as a starter, he has like a 95 stuff plus four seam. Everything it goes down a notch. And then none of his locations are above average. And we know that his command isn't very good. Um, but um, the, the other pitches aren't terrible. They aren't like 60s and 70s. They're like low 90s. So I think that he could be, uh, I think they'll give him another shot. I mean, they might as well stretch him out and see what happens, but... I guess the the way I would look at it is, is it more likely than not that he ends up in the pen even if they give him that chance? Like, Is, is he a smart late pitching dart in a deep mix league or because Ryan Presley's there and you're probably not getting saves, you're really just getting a, a good reliever if he doesn't stick, if he doesn't make those adjustments? Yeah, I mean, I think with that... Uh, with that level of command and with the fact that his team has already moved him. 
Um, I would assume that he's headed more towards the bullpen. But uh, one thing that I don't have in front of me is a sense of what the team looks like next year. I mean, I think they might just need him, um, you know, next year because Granky's a free agent, right? Granky's a free agent. Verlander is also a free agent coming off of Tommy John, right? Yeah, so they have under contract. Odorizzi will have an option. Uh, Urquidy, Urquidy, Odorizzi, Garcia are your top three. And then, and Fromber. And four. McCullers if healthy. Ah. So maybe he doesn't even start the year in the rotation. It'd be Odorizzi versus Javier. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with Odorizzi, he might be the kind of guy that while you don't necessarily want to start him in playoff games, you're perfectly content to start him every fifth or sixth day throughout the regular season because he's just more of a, a volume guy that helps get you there. Yeah. Funny how that uh, has become a, a thing that a few more teams have picked up uh, over the last couple of years. But uh, game four, I don't know. I, I thought it was uh, it was the pitcher's duel that we didn't think we'd be getting because of it being a, a bullpen game. Way bigger surprise than uh, game three. Yeah. Way yeah. bigger surprise. I just thought, you know, the way the bullpens were shaken down. And in fact, game five, I think, was kind of what I expected out of game four. Right. That, that's exactly where I'm at, too. One last thought on game four, by the way. That long out that Jose Altuve had against Luke Jackson, that, that ended the eighth inning. Eddie Rosario made a really nice catch. They said on the broadcast it would have been a home run in like 24 other parks. That ball was smoked, and Eddie Rosario had to go a long, long way to get it. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code BARRELS to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at trifume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, but looking back at last night's Game 5, this was the the slop that I expected to see on Saturday. But for that moment, right around 8.30 or so Eastern last night, it seemed like it was going to be over. The Adam Duvall first inning Grand Slam, like everything was coming up Atlanta, a 4 nothing lead, you're getting Fromber rattled early. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I think maybe back-to-back bullpen games just caught up to Atlanta. I think that's basically what happened 
Houston, as we've talked about throughout the entire postseason, throughout the entire regular season, they're the best offense in the league for a reason. They don't strike out. They put a lot of balls in play, and they do damage. Like That's a recipe that's going to generally come through against the B relievers especially. Yeah, what's interesting is um, the uh, the Braves did not strike out a lot more. In fact, I think it was six strikeouts each for non-pitchers, hmm. which hurts my narrative because I was thinking, okay, well, if you look at the top exit velocities, the Braves had eight out of the top ten ex- top exit velocities, right? And they struck out less, or they struck out the same amount as the Astros, and the Astros scored a bunch more runs. I think some of it is just sequencing, but then some of it might also be a little bit of lineup balance. Um, I'm looking at this, and I, if I didn't know who pitched, uh, which I think is, you know, it's you started with a lefty, but, you know, when it becomes a bullpen game, it almost, you know, just sort of assume that, you know, there's going to be a lot of different matchups. If I didn't know, I would say that a lefty started, which I guess they probably did start, but the lefties had a hard time. You know, Freddie had the homer, and uh, otherwise uh, the hits came from righties. That was a 460-foot home run for Freddie Freeman, by the way. Uh, yeah, longest of his career. It was I believe, beautiful. To Sam Chess uh, in There's the something stream. about that. You know, he just took it like it. It was a hard swing, but it almost looked like he took it and flicked it. You know what I mean? Like he just took that ball where it was going. You know what I mean? I don't know. There was something about that swing. He just went out and just, just sort of. There was like a little bit of a, a flick to it. Almost, it almost just like, oh man. And then four hundred sixty feet later, I really like Freddie Freeman as a hitter. Um, but of course, the the biggest, the the, the big turning point was Zach Greinke's pitch hit a performance, and. Uh, amazingly, three hard hit balls in, in his uh, in what might be some of the last uh, at bats by pitchers ever. Yeah, I mean it. It may turn out that the last pitcher at bat we ever see in a World Series is a pinch hit for Zach Greinke. It's uh, seems appropriate. It's it's a nutty nutty thing. Uh, wait, is is this true? What? This person is saying, "Hold on, hold on." Yes, this is this is true. What? He had the top exit velocity. <laughs> yeah, THP knob in the the live stream. Grinky had the top exit velocity for Houston last night, one hundred five point nine on that single. That is correct. The, the next hardest hit ball was a one hundred four five. The there he is, Correa. Well, there's that eight of ten. I mean, if you look at it, Freddie, Austin, Austin, Jorge, Duval, all hit it harder than Grinky. And then you've got three more Braves before you get to the Astros. The Astros had the next, uh, dominated the next 10, though. Hit a lot of balls, 101. Uh, I just wonder if there's something going on here, if that's like part of their method, or if that's just one game. <laughs> I, I think one of the things you can see very easily on the slow-mo replays, you can see how ugly some of the swings are that put balls in play, but I think the ability to take a bad swing and hit a ball that's difficult to hit and put it into play is a pretty unique skill that maybe Houston has a few more guys like that. I mean, Altuve is he's his own thing because he's small in the first place and then has all that that range and, and coverage, right? But mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what it is at a certain point in your game plan. You're saying, hey, you know, we're 
we're not going to get the stuff we can barrel up in some of these sequences, but let's just put pressure on the defense. I think that was B, a, like a sort question. of B and C swings. You mean like, well, yeah, like, yes, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's situational hitting, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, yeah. what it is. I was thinking about that. Bregman took that slider to the opposite field mm-hmm. and uh, he told me in uh, Oakland, uh, I only want to swing at balls. I can hit homers off of, but that ball that he swung at was a slider on the outside part of the plate. Right. It was probably not a ball he was going to homer on. No, he's using you to send smoke screens to other teams. But then he also took a uh, took like a B level swing, right? That that was kind of like an inside out, like dink it into the outfield swing. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, so yeah, I think that I think that maybe that is something that they do uh, hitting coach wise is is be like let, you know have a good two strike approach, and then and it's not always to use it when it's a two strike approach, like just maybe access that if they're just not going to give you a fastball where you want it. Got one here from Mitch. No one was more disciplined. The series went six than bucket smolts. <laughs> <laughs> they've, uh, they've, it's been uh, surprisingly low energy too in the booth. Am I crazy? It's it's low energy. Yeah. No, Cause smolts was like wrong. telling some story about how he electrocuted himself and like it was uh, so first of all it was weird uh and then he had to be like oh don't electrocute yourself kid kid out there <laughs> you know uh, forgot that it was halloween kids were all out trick-or-treating <laughs> and not watching the game right but then also like uh the 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 repartee there like that could have been like a funny like let's laugh about this moment buck was like yeah make sure not to tell the kids not to electrocute themselves and i was like <sighs> I feel like, come on, confident. guys. That was like the funniest thing you guys talked about all night, and you and you still made it sound boring. Pretty confident that if you or I had a story about electrocuting ourselves and we lived to come back to the pod, we would be laughing about I it. I did. I I did tell a story about electrocuting myself on the pod. <laughs> you, why? How did I forget that? When did that happen? Uh, Christmas light season last year. Christmas light season last year. My I don't dang. remember that. My my father-in-law is a tinkerer he likes to keep i guess uh extension cords that have raw bear parts on them you around those it's like don't keep those trap. extension cords kids what are you talking about why would you leave that and then it was partially taped up like oh okay so he fixed this one right <laughs> it's a live wire live wire right in my elbow <laughs> I was screaming. I screamed so loud that like uh, a neighbor three houses over is like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> That's how you know you've you've been harmed. Like when you when you yeah. when you make such a horrible sound that an anonymous neighbor <laughs> from some distance checks in, you did something very bad. Yeah, the scooter oh, story God. I think is your classic Eno injury story because. Oh. I mean that was a, a that was a bad situation, but uh, I, I guess I don't expect much from from Buck and Smoltz. I I, <laughs> I I feel I like had a low low bar for them to hurdle, and they didn't hurdle it. <laughs> right, like, I, I feel like Buck was really happy that the series was off on a Thursday because then he could do the Packers Cardinals game on Thursday night. He could take a break from the World Series, call a football game, and then get back to it uh, for the weekend. But uh, 
I don't know. I mean, a 9-5 at Houston win. Like, I thought that was the Game 4 script. It played out in Game 5. I think the Minter fatigue, as someone pointed out, yes, that was definitely a concern just because of how heavily they pushed him in the last he two weeks down, or so. He wasn't down velo like, compared to the regular season, but he was down velo compared to the postseason. Which, you know, it just makes sense. There's going to be a cost to, to pushing Man. a guy like that. He lost uh, two two plus inches of horizontal movement on the cutter, and horizontal movement is, is very important for cutters. So, yeah, that was there was a little bit of fatigue there. I think. What about Fromber? Just going back to early postseason Fromber. Now he's back down to the the one really good start against the Red Sox. the The day that I said, I don't know if good Fromber is coming through the door. That was the only day that good Fromber came through <laughs> the door in this postseason, and, and looked like the guy that we saw last year and. Uh, is there anything with the I stuff? I think he's a bit of a, a, a two pitch uh, pitcher that really has to dot the bottom of the zone. And uh, I think that the Braves were just uh, disciplined enough to say, hey, we're not going to swing at the very bottom of the zone. So if you really need a strike, you're going to come up a little bit. And then they punished everything that he threw that was at all up. Is that, is that about the same reason you got? Yeah. I mean, that's. He just didn't have another weapon to say, oh, you, you know, oh, you're looking for something in the zone. Here comes my changeup in the zone. Like Arkiti did that. That's why Arkiti was throwing the high changeups. He's like, oh, you're going to sit, you know, you're going to wait for something up up in the zone. Well, then I'm going to throw you some weird ass high changeups. Uh, I just think Frommer didn't have that, that trick in his back pocket. Yeah. I wonder if he'll make a concerted effort to come back with a third pitch that he can use consistently next year. Seems like it would go a very long way toward making him much more effective and much more consistent because yeah if you if you have two pitches you're not locating the fastball well it doesn't really matter how good the other pitch is at a certain point bigly hitters can sit back and, and do damage if, if you're not getting those strikes where you need them he can he can spin the ball I, I know that it's uh the cutters are a little bit dangerous in terms of what they can do to your whole repertoire what they can do to your fastball shape or you know sometimes people think that what they can do to your velocity overall velocity but uh, if you stay true behind the ball and you you keep your mechanics uh, you know sharp, I would say that a cutter would do him really well, right? Because what would it, what would you do with a cutter in that situation? Is you people are sitting on stuff higher in the zone, you throw a cutter up and in, yeah. you know. And he's proven that he can spin the ball, so I, I think that like a cutter, you know, obviously they must have tried sliders with him, and it hasn't it hasn't it hasn't come together so i might i might try the cutter story uh this is interesting from jl the astros have a home run problem uh last eight runs by land have been scored via the home run if they keep the ball in the yard uh they'll have a much better time um that is uh, i think uh, interesting when you think about the dodge i don't know why i'm thinking about this but the dodgers um the dodgers bullpen and their power sinkers right they kind of were like, hey, everyone's looking for the strikeouts. We're going to try and keep the ball on the ground and give up the fewest homers in baseball. Um, and I don't think that the Astros have had that same epiphany or 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 feel the same way. You know, they yeah. are yeah. going more traditionally for strikeouts and sometimes homers. Um, and so um, I think, you know, it would be awesome for the Astros right now to be able to stick in like a bruised dark all, even if he has his flaws, like somebody with a super power sinker would do them really well right now. Yeah. I don't know if they have anyone coming through the system 
who's going to serve in that role anytime soon. Well, they kind of they kind of develop these like riding four seams, sweeping slider. You know, they 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 do do the Dodgers uh, sweeper that that it's not a Dodgers thing, but you know the sweeper slider, the seam switch, wake slider. They do that too. So, um, there's some copycat stuff, and like this is one of those moments where you could be like, man, if you if you had a, like a little bit, you know, I think if I was in a running an organization, I would be like, okay, let's always have, uh, you know, let's have a philosophy. Let's have a, a roadmap. Let's do these things. And then let's also allow for creativity and for something else and be like, you know, maybe Graveman is a little bit like that. Graveman has the power sinker. And maybe they were like, Hey, let's get someone who doesn't look like all the rest of our guys. You know, we don't want to get another Presley. Let's go get a, a power sinker guy. Let's go get Graveman. I mean, Graveman uh, hasn't looked amazing and, and gave up a homer, but and, and Fromber does throw a changeup. But the he way. just, I, d- I don't so think he he good. doesn't trust it. He yeah. doesn't command it. He threw it's, four of them last night. I mean, he yeah. threw forty-seven pitches. He threw four changeups. That gives you an idea of how he feels about that pitch. Yeah. Uh, I think we have one more thing we have to get to uh, as it pertains to this series, because I think this keg is forever tied to this series. (laughs) What is the status of the keg in Eno's backyard? It is now floating in the water in the tub, which means that I think if my physics are correct, there's less beer in the keg than water in the tub. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I'm telling myself. I, I I believe that explanation. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's close. I, 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 I would have to say that we were down in the dumps. We, you know, we didn't quite think we could do this. We didn't think we could do. There were times when we doubted we could get to this mountaintop. But together, you know, I had DVR come over and have a couple beers. My wife on Sunday finally said, "Okay, I'll take a couple for the team," <laughs> and and drank three beers on Sunday, and and, and me. I have to give credit to me. Uh, all thanks be to me uh, for doing the real yeoman's work here uh, and uh, drinking this this one beer daily for now about ten days. Yeah, that, that's really good work. <laughs> I'm gonna Wait. reward myself with like a stout at the end of it. Something completely different. Uh, it's a it's an IPA from Fieldwork called Pulp. It's double dry hop pulp. It's delicious. So it's, a, it's a hazy. Uh, it's it's pretty delicious, and the weather has been has been uh, been huge in this uh, in this battle. The weather has been cold and has kept the beer cold. So, if we get an eighty degree day, uh, that'll be it for the keg. Yeah, I uh, I woke up today and looked out the window and saw like what I think are actual clouds, not just like and you said marine layer. That's a good day for the keg. I'm like, oh, it's so good <laughs> for the keg. We don't have to throw another twenty pound bag of ice on it. The keg lives on for a few more days because the the weather is uh, being very very kind to it right now. Oh my now. god! I feel like I can do it. I feel like I can do it. Well, I could probably come over. I got uh, like two or three of these Yetis. I could probably just come over with lids and Yetis and just like take a few to go beers if that helps you. Just to, yes, yes. Just to uh, a cousin came by uh, and I I made her leave with a with a growler. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a growler anymore. I didn't bring any of them with me on the. On I should have. I should have made broken. like little mini growlers and given them out at Halloween <laughs> to the parents. Yeah, no, I would. You guys to would the have been parents, the most popular house on the block. Uh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, they, someone in my neighborhood does dog Halloween, which is awesome. 
Oh. So they had a, a bowl of biscuits, and they had a bowl of small tennis balls, and they had a, a bowl of large tennis balls. So <laughs> big dogs. So My dogs have been so happy that there was a small one. <laughs> Hazel would have. Uh, I mean, Hazel enjoyed it. Like she would have probably stayed there all day if I let her. She would have just kind of, like, take take a ball, chew on it for a minute, pick another one. Like she really can't decide. But uh, yeah, she was dressed as Harry Potter and the, she uh, enjoyed this a lot. The aspiring good boys were not very good last night. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of uh, commotion by the front door, so I banished them to the backyard, and they just spent all of Halloween barking. Well. They did pretty well with my visit on Friday. I mean, I ate a, better with people in the house. Yeah, I I ate a bowl of chili standing completely still, which I feel like I should get a trophy for. Uh, <laughs> and they calmed down. Like they, they were like, "Oh, this this statue is not bothering me." This this kitchen. Yeah, they even came over and, and said hi when you were on the couch. Yes, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, Sam I mean, is right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they are aspiring. <laughs> they are. They're sitting on command now. And uh, they don't bark at every single person they walk by or dog, only some. All right. So well, I don't know. Trending okay-ish. Uh, two two chewinies, little chihuahua dachshunds. It's a it's a long it's a long road. We're, we're Buster all, we're all Buster Dogless and Iggy Pup. Buster Dogless and Iggy Pup. <laughs> Uh, we have game six, of this course, coming names. up on Tuesday. <laughs> their their birth names. Yeah, that's what it says on the on the paperwork. <laughs> uh, of course, on uh, Tuesday, game six, we've got Luis Garcia lined up to go up against Max Freed, which probably gives us an Urquidy Ian Anderson matchup. Urquidy threw an inning in relief in game five, so you give him a day off. Let someone else start game six. You could bring him back in seven. Oh my God, Urquidy Ian Anderson. Uh, that's like a pitching plus. Uh, you know, it's a referendum on pitching plus. All, all the model chips. really likes Urquidy and it really doesn't like Anderson. Oh no! <laughs> uh, Britt should be back soon. By the way, I saw a few questions asking. Uh, she's not, she's not big leaguing anyone. She'll be back uh, in the near future. So, uh, fortunately, uh, we will have her probably back before the end of the postseason. So, looking forward to that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Droli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're, of course, here at 1130 a.m. Eastern, so long as there are playoff games. So I guess we're still rooting for seven just to maximize the the number of shows. That's that's only natural. Uh, if you'd like to get a subscription to The Athletic, you can do that. Get 33% off for your first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.